Welcome to the Experience Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Justina Brownlee. It's our prayer that this message is not only an encouragement, but a blessing to your life. joining us on the other side of that screen, those that are at one of the jail ministry campuses taking in this message or at Belize Central Prison, or maybe you're joining us online. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Come on, church. Tell them you love them. We believe in you. We love you. Well, I do get to finish out our series called Running with the Giants. It's been an amazing series. I hope you've loved it as much as us. I love learning about these people, these heroes of the faith, as Hebrews chapter 11 tells us. There were heroes of the faith, people who lived their life in such a way that it left a legacy and a lesson for us to follow. And that's why we learn about these people in Scripture. And so I want to kick off and finish up, but I want to kick off the message with asking us a question today. I want you to just think about this for minute. Who would you say besides Jesus, he's the obvious answer, but you can't pick him today. Who would you say besides Jesus is the most influential, significant, irreplaceable person in the history of Christianity? Think about it just a minute, just a minute. Because you have over 2,000 years of history. You've got billions of people. Who do you think was the most significant, impactful, irreplaceable person in the history of all Christianity? Go ahead. Who do you think? Say it to your neighbor. Just tell your neighbor for a minute. Tell your neighbor. I heard many of you say it, and it's the one we're going to talk about, and that would be the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul also known as Saul in scripture, was hands down the most significant, impactful, influential, irreplaceable person in the history of Christianity besides Jesus. And we're going to talk about him today. In fact, let me tell you about some of his impact. The Apostle Paul in scripture, what you're going to find find out about the Apostle Paul is that he actually authored, when you look at your New Testament of your Bible, he authored 13, at least we think, 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. So Paul authored, of all the New Testament we read, almost half of that entire New Testament that we read. We also find out in Scripture about Paul that he planted at least 14 churches that we can identify in Scripture. So he goes out and he starts these churches, and that's not counting the churches that come out of those churches and go off to different cities to be planted. Imagine the exponential spread that happened from these churches that Paul himself went and planted and oversaw and made sure were healthy. We also know about the Apostle Paul. He was a missionary. He began to take journeys, multiple journeys, um, around all this, the space that he lived in. In fact, in Scripture, you're going to find at least 50 different cities that Paul influenced and touched. Now, if that doesn't impress you, it's because you have forgotten there was no delta in the time of Paul. <laughs> Remember, Paul had to walk everywhere he went. So when we say Paul took missionary journeys, he wasn't hopping on the plane with his frequent traveler miles to pop off for an hour to a city to share the gospel and come back. Paul is sleeping in tents. Paul is staying in homes he doesn't know. Paul is going through wilderness. Paul is walking by foot. And he makes it somehow, some way in his lifetime of his ministry to over 50 cities that he personally went to and shared the gospel of Christ to. That's impressive to me. 
We also now know about the Apostle Paul that everywhere he went, there were signs, miracles, and wonders and healings. He, he, when he would go somewhere, there would be miraculous things that happened. There were healings that happened. In fact, if you go to the book of Acts, you're going to find a story of, of one time where it, it, the Bible says even handkerchiefs that touched Paul would be taken back and people would be healed from them. And so I just need you to know I brought some of Paul's handkerchiefs today. I'm going to be selling them in the lobby. I'm only kidding, only kidding. But here's Paul, one of the greatest, most influential and impactful people in the history of Christianity. And I want him to tell you his story because he wasn't always like that. He wasn't always planting churches. He wasn't always seeing, praying for people to be healed. He wasn't always sharing the name of Jesus in a healthy way. And I want him to tell you his story, so let's read it together. Acts chapter 26, we're going to read verses 9 through 19. And what Paul is doing, he's telling his testimony to King Agrippa, the man by the name of Agrippa. And so he's sharing his story, and here's what he says. Paul says this, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. One day I was on just such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and the commission of the leading priests. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Let me pause there because I just think that's a prophetic statement for somebody in the room today. Can I say it over you? It is useless for you to keep fighting against God's will. I don't know what it is that you keep fighting, what God's trying to tell you to line up with. He's trying to give you an instruction in, what he's asking you to do. I'm just telling you from the words of the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian other than Jesus, that it is useless to keep fighting against God's will. Can I say that's not a battle you're gonna win? Let me say it even stronger. It's not a battle you want to win. You don't want to win that battle. And so Jesus is saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. In other words, this wasn't just one-time encounter that Paul's having. It's about to be an ongoing relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is going to continue to teach him and speak to him and tell him what's coming in the future. And then he goes on and, and he basically says, And I will rescue you from both your own people and to the Gentiles. And yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by me in faith. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision, I obeyed that vision from heaven. And then from that 
point forward, Scripture tells us, from that moment forward, Paul begins to preach Jesus. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 28, what he does from that moment forward, verse 31, he proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul challenges me. He challenges my concept of what it means to be a Christian. I'll be honest. He challenges my concept of what it is to actually follow Jesus. Because here's Paul, a man who at one point was persecuting, and now he's on the other side proclaiming. And so when I look at, looked at the life of Paul over the last week, when I studied the, the letters that he's written in the New Testament and what he was teaching other disciples and people to do, and when I looked at how he led, led his life and lived his life, I kept asking myself this question, and I hope you'll ask it too today. And it was this, how can I have the exponential kingdom impact that Paul had? That's what I want to know. How can I have that kind of impact, the impact that Paul had for the sake of the gospel? And I want to encourage you that we can. You see, Paul did his part, and now it's our turn. And so there's something for us to learn from the life of Paul. And I kept asking myself that question, how am I going to have that kind of impact for the sake of the gospel? And so what I want to do today in our time is I just want to share four things that I think Paul had that caused him to have that kind of exponential kingdom impact. Four things that the apostle Paul had to have if he was going to have an impact like he, if he was going to author half of the New Testament, if he was going to plant over 14 churches, if he was going to go and reach over 50 cities, if he was going to be a legacy that 2,000 years later, I'm standing on a platform talking and speaking his name, if he was going to have that kind of impact, he was going to have to have four things. And I suggest you and I need them too. And so here they are. Now let me tell you, they're not exactly exhaustive, we could do a whole series on the lessons we could learn from the life of Paul. But it's the four things that I think lit a fire in his belly. That's my hope today. I hope if, if, if you come in today and you just kind of like doing your thing, how you like to do your thing and you're comfortable, you like kind of like that comfort Christianity, I'm okay with that. I'm not shaming you today. I'm just saying you just sit back and ignore my words today then. You, you know, you just be you, boo-boo, and do your thing. This message is not for you. But if you've asked yourself the question, how in the world can I have an exponential kingdom impact in this time, in this place, at this moment, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then this word is for you. Four things we need. Number one, the first thing Paul had was a dramatic conversion. Paul had a dramatic conversion. In fact, if you go back to Acts chapter 22, we're going to read it in just a minute. It's the same testimony, the same story, his Damascus Road experience that he had. But when he had this dramatic conversion, I want you to know the first place we meet the Apostle Paul, again, he's called Saul in Scripture, which is his Hebrew name. He's from Tarsus. But then he's called Paul in Scripture because that's his Greek name. That's all, the only difference. He has a Hebrew name and a Greek name. And so Saul, Paul, that's who we're speaking of. I'll call him Paul today. And so when we meet Paul in Acts chapter 7, the place we meet him is interesting because you'll maybe remember the story if you've read the book of Acts. There was a man by the name of Stephen. And Stephen is one of the very, he was the first martyr for the name of Christ. 
He's going to be killed for proclaiming Christ. He's the first one to be killed for that. And what is happening in Acts 7 is the religious leaders have drug him out and told him, you need to stop preaching Jesus. You need to shut your mouth. You need to keep your mouth closed. You don't get to speak that name. That's blasphemy. And he says, I will never stop preaching Jesus. You will hear me utter the name of Jesus to my last breath. And he begins to preach a sermon. And as he's preaching a sermon, the Bible tells us everyone is throwing stones at him. He's being thrown. Rocks are being tossed at him. He is bleeding. He's bloody. He's falling to his knees, but he doesn't stop preaching. But where we meet Paul in the story is the Bible tells us that while this is happening, Paul is there watching, holding the coats for those that are throwing the stones. You see, that's where we meet Paul. He's, he is way against Jesus and any follower of what the Bible calls the way. And when we meet him, this is happening, and he's doing this, and it's at this moment a fire starts in him to go out and persecute every Christian he could find. And so then in Acts chapter 22, verses 6 through 10, the reason that we find him on the road to Damascus is he is heading to Damascus, the Bible tells us, to round up every man, woman, and child that, com- that proclaims they follow Jesus. Jesus. He's going to round them up. He has permission to do so. He's going to throw them in prison with the intention of executing every single one of them. And so in ex- he has this dramatic conversion, though. In Acts chapter 22, verses 6 through 10, he says, I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, and a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's important to point out what Jesus says there. Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting those men and women? He says, why are you persecuting me? It's a good reminder, Christians, that anytime we're coming against another child of God, you're not persecuting them, you're coming against Jesus. I I think it kind of challenges me to keep my mouth shut more than I do to check my heart more than I do, to not feel the freedom to gossip and, and even speak my own opinion about other believers. I, that, I tremble at the thought of that. I tremble at the thought of that. It's a healthy tremble because I know I'm not speaking against you. I'm speaking against Jesus. And I just don't have permission to do that. And so here it is. He says, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? That's the first question we should ask in our dramatic conversion. Show me who you are, Jesus. Show me who you are. And then he goes on, and a voice replied, I'm Jesus the Nazarene whom you're persecuting. And the people with me saw a light but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. And I asked, what should I do? That should be the second question we ask in our dramatic conversion. Who are you and what do you need me to do? How do I step into this life with you? And he says, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go to Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. And so what happens, the Bible tells us, if you read the whole story, we won't read it today, you're going to find out that he is struck blind by this encounter. And so now Paul is blind. Everyone with him has to lead him to Damascus, the Bible tells us. And there in Damascus, he is blind for three days and doesn't eat and doesn't drink anything for three whole days. I thought that was an interesting picture of what we're like spiritually when we don't have Jesus. We're blind, we're hungry, and we're thirsty. We're blind, we're famished, and we're dehydrated. Listen, it's a picture, the Bible wastes nothing. And this picture of Paul, for three days, he cannot see a thing. He's totally blind. And he had been for years. 
He had been blinded for years. And part of a dramatic conversion is that God removes the scales from our eyes that have been there for years. And he begins to fill us up with his word. He begins to hydrate with the rivers of the living water from his spirit. God will do that in our conversion to him. And so Paul is in this place for three days he's blind. And then God sends a man named Ananias. The Bible tells us this story. He says, they, he goes to Ananias and he says, I want you to go to Paul. And Ananias, you know, he goes, say what? <laughs> Listen, I know about this Paul. Ain't no, I, there's no way he won't kill me if I don't. Can you imagine having to be Ananias, the one that, that, that the Lord comes to and says, I need you to go to Paul. You know, the one that's been killing every person like you. Go to him and tell him from now on you live for me. I mean, if the picture Ananias, I just want to encourage you, though. It encouraged me in this story because I thought anytime God kind of stirs you to go share with somebody, just know he's with you. You don't have to be fearful of that. And so Ananias goes and he shares this with Paul. And next thing we know from that point on, Paul has a dramatic conversion. Paul will never be the same. And when I thought about Paul's dramatic conversion, it did a couple of things. First, it encouraged me. It encouraged me to realize that no one is out of the reach of God. No one is out of the reach of God. Not your crazy spouse, not your crazy kids, not your nasty neighbor, not your boss who doesn't treat you well. No one is out of the reach of God. Listen, the apostle Paul said about himself, I am the worst of sinners. I'm a blasphemer, I'm a persecutor, I'm a murderer. I am the worst of the worst of the worst. And when we look at the life of Paul, we can see that no one is out of the reach of Paul. No one has gone too far, no one is too hard-hearted, no one is too blind, no one has done too much. I speak to you on the other side, sitting in that jail cell. Not even you are out of the reach of God. No one is out of the reach of God. We don't give up on anyone. We learn that from the story of Paul. But then the story, it, the dramatic conversion, it also challenges me. This is where it challenges me because I realize it's not just about praying some prayer. A dramatic conversion requires that I become a totally different person. You see, when you look at Paul, he became a totally different person. In fact, look at it. He wrote this himself, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. I've become a totally different person. It's not just about believing in Jesus. It's about following him. And I'm scared to death about the church. If we've reduced Christianity, especially in our Western context, to the idea that I just have to pray a prayer and just say I'm a follower of Jesus, we've missed the dramatic conversion. Now, I'm not saying that you don't believe in Jesus and that you're not going to spend eternity in heaven. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, are you going to have an exponential kingdom impact on this earth? No. Not until you and I have a dramatic conversion where I turn from who I was to who I'm called to be. Where I walk away from my old life and I receive my new life. Where I line myself up with every instruction of Jesus. 
when I have such a dramatic conversion that I'm so desperate to become a totally new person? That's what a dramatic conversion is. And so let me ask you, when did you become a Christian? Think about it just for a minute. Because I don't mean when did you pray the prayer. Here's what I'm asking you. When did it become so noticeable in your life, how you lived it, that others began to assume you were a Christian? That's what we're going for. A dramatic conversion is that you don't have to ask me. You're just going to know. I'll be transparent with you a few weeks ago. I mean, this really stirred and challenged me because somebody had, had made a mention that, that we're around some groups, you know, sports that we're involved in. And they had, there had been this comment that said, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian and I didn't know you were a pastor. <laughs> Talking to Pastor Kyle because obviously they knew I was. They were talking to Pastor Kyle. So anyway, I'm sure, that, I'm sure that's what they meant. And we could kind of chuckle about it, but can I just tell you it was like a knife? Like, wow. I had to, I had to reflect. Why have I been around you for month after month after month, and you have no idea? I need a dramatic conversion. <laughs> Paul had a dramatic conversion. He was a persecutor, and now he's willing and will die to be persecuted and die for the sake of the gospel. He was all about the law and telling everybody that they're doing everything wrong and telling everybody what he was against. And suddenly, when he had a dramatic conversion, he's all about grace and telling everybody that they're loved and that they're invited to the table and that there's a place for them and that the gospel is for any and every person. It's why he was sent to the Gentile, not just the Jew. He became a totally different person. He had a dramatic conversion. And when I thought about it, the most astonishing part about that whole conversion was not that Paul decided to follow Jesus. It was that Jesus decided to call Paul. <laughs> Think about it. I'm not surprised that Paul decided to follow Jesus. I am just, I'm a little surprised that Jesus decided that Paul was the one to call. It encourages me today. And so we need a dramatic conversion. And then the second thing we need is this, number two. We need a compelling mission. You see, in, in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, let's read it again, because right out of the gate, Jesus gives Paul a very compelling mission. He's been on mission, but it's the wrong mission. He's been on mission to persecute, to kill, to imprison, and to come against the name of Jesus. But now Jesus is going to give him the right mission. He's going to give him something to get up in the morning for. He's going to give him something to live for. I just wonder if anybody else in the room needs a reason to get up in the morning. And it's not just my job I'm going to. I just wonder if anyone else in the room needs a mission to go on. I just wonder if anyone else in the room needs a family to belong to. I just wonder if anyone else in the room needs to fight, something to fight for. He was given a a compelling mission in this moment and it's in Acts chapter 26 verse 18 Jesus says I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and they will receive forgiveness of their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me this was Paul's new mission the gospel was his mission Remember, I'm talking to those of you that are ready to have an exponential kingdom impact while your feet are on this earth. You and I have the same exact mission. 
The mission didn't stop with Paul. It didn't stop with the disciples. And it didn't stop in the book of Acts. It didn't stop with the early church. Our mission has never changed. Our mission is the same. In fact, we, we find it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's read it together. Because Jesus said in Matthew, he told them, I want you to go out into the world and preach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is ascending back to heaven. He's about to leave. It's his very last words. How many of you know last words are important? If Jesus is about to say something and it's the last thing he's going to say, we better lean in. We better listen and know he's talking to us. And he says this, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses Telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The minute that I have a dramatic conversion, I decide to go all in. That's all that means. I'm going all in with Jesus. The minute that I do that, I also get a compelling mission. And the mission is to take the gospel everywhere I go. Everywhere I go, the gospel goes with me. And he's very clear. It's interesting, and I want to break it down for us. In Acts 1.8, he said, to Jerusalem and Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let me make it practical for us today. How does that relate to us? Because you're probably not going to go to Jerusalem and Judea with the gospel. Maybe you will. I pray that you will. Every time I go there, I want to take the gospel with me. But... What does it mean to you and I? Take, I think, to Jerusalem. When he said to Jerusalem and Judea, here's what he's saying. Take the gospel to those closest to you and around you. Because he's speaking to the disciples who are in Jerusalem in this moment. And what he's saying is take the gospel to those closest to you and around you. Think about it for a minute. Who's close to you? Who's around you? Who needs the good news of the gospel? You have a compelling mission lighting up inside of you. And there are people around you. There are people around me. You're going to reach people I'm never going to be around. And I'm going to reach people you're never going to be around. And in the context of this compelling mission, we are giving a commission, a mandate to take the gospel. The good. Listen, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it has the power to save I just break a spirit of being ashamed of the gospel in this room in Jesus' name. I'm breaking it off my life. No longer will I be ashamed of the good news. That's like telling somebody, I know you're sick with a disease, and I actually have the antidote. I actually have the cure, but I'm embarrassed to give it to you. No more in Jesus' name as fall. And now if you haven't had a dramatic conversion, you're not going to feel like this. You need a dramatic conversion. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be saved, baptized in water, and filled with the Holy Spirit to have a dramatic conversion and be, have a compelling mission that allows you to not be ashamed to take the good news of the gospel to those around you. And so I hope it stirs it up in us that part of our mandate, me as a believer, I'm just speaking to me, I need to be taking the gospel to those closest to me and around me. And then he says, take it to Samaria. Okay, what's that mean? Well, that means let's take the gospel to those who are near you but not like you. <laughs> we don't stop short of the ones we just don't understand. We don't see it like they see it. We don't believe like they believe. We don't really like them. They don't really look like us. They don't really sound like us. No, that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. To go to Samaria was a big deal. 
Samaritans did not like Jews, and Jews did not like Samaritans. So there, and it was close in proximity. It wasn't distance, but they weren't like each other. And so now here Jesus is saying, you're going to have to take the gospel to those that are close to you, but they're not like you. They're not like you. And this is where the walls have to come down. I have to get comfortable being around people that don't have the same values as me, don't have the same views as me, don't have the same lifestyle as me, because I have the good news. And I don't know, maybe eventually, I'm not trying to convert them to my views. You better be very careful. Taking the gospel to someone is not to try to convert them to a new lifestyle. You're not trying to get them to stop sinning. You're just simply trying to get them the gospel of the good news. And his name is Jesus. The answer is not to stop the bad things you're doing. The answer is to get in relationship with Jesus. Jesus will sort it all out. So I got to take the gospel to those who are near me, but they're not like me. I want you to think about it. Just think about it for a minute. There's some of those around you. There's some of those around me. And when I speak to you as individuals, can I just say I'm sharing the vision of this part of this house. As a church, we are going to take the gospel to those that are closest to us and around us. And we're also going to take the gospel to those that are near us but not like us. And then the third and final thing he says is to the ends of the earth. And this is where we're going to take the gospel to those some distance from us. Missions matters. Like the Bible, you, Paul, it was his journey. He didn't just stay in Jerusalem. He had a strategic plan and he kept going outward. He kept going further and further to take the gospel. And missions matters. That's why if you hear us talk about Belize and some of the international places that we're sowing seed in, we're just taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're taking the gospel to the furthest stretches that we can, any door that God opens in relationship, that we can have partners in other nations. That's important. Because otherwise you sow seed, but you don't know what happens next. And so as we go to other nations, we're sowing seed and we're intentional about that seed is going to produce the fruit of the gospel in that place. And so however that looks, for some of you, you need to go on a missions trip. It's time. It's time to go somewhere where people are not like you, to a place that is not like here, comfortable defiance in our comfortable four walls, and you need to go on that journey, and you need to take the gospel with you, and God's gonna bless it. And we're gonna, you're gonna hear about this in the upcoming weeks. We've got a whole year's worth of missions trips to Belize planned. And so you could be a part of that. Or some of you should start giving resource. Just know every time you give at Experience Church, that is seed that is being taken outside of these walls to do exactly the commission of Jesus, to take the gospel to the furthest reaches of the earth. We're taking it some distance away. And so there's ways some of you could start praying for the time, for the things that we're doing in Belize as a church or the other things you see doing in other nations. Pray for God's hand to be there. Pray for God's gospel to go forth. And so we have this compelling mission that we're being called to. And the truth was, Paul would take the gospel further than he ever imagined. And it would cost him more than he ever knew. And that leads us to the third thing that we're going to need if we're going to have an exponential kingdom impact like Paul. And it's this, number three, a friendship with uncertainty and suffering. <laughs> I didn't want to use the word friendship, but the Holy Spirit made me. So if you don't like this, you blame him, not me. 
I kept trying to put in the word peace. Let's be at peace with uncertainty and suffering. Let's, let's be okay with uncertainty and suffering. Let's be aware. That's the word I wanted. Let's just be aware. There could be uncertainty. There could be suffering. And the Holy Spirit just said, no, 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 no. You don't get to have a kingdom influence like you're asking for unless you make friends with uncertainty and suffering. Unless you invite it in, you sit down next to it, and you don't run every time it comes knocking at your door saying, stop, stop coming to my house. I'm not friends with you. Because here's Paul. Listen to what happens in Acts chapter 9, verse 15 through 16. God warns him, you're going to be a friend. You're going to be a friend of uncertainty and suffering. Because it says this, Acts chapter 9, verse 15 through 16, and the Lord is telling Ananias this, and he says, this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument. Come on, how many of you would like to be called that by God? I want to be your chosen instrument. Going good so far. You're going to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. You're going to go to kings, Paul. You're going to go to governors. You're going to hold microphones. You're going to stand on a platform. Your name's going to be made. No, you're going to do all this stuff, Paul. Like, you're going somewhere, Paul. Come on, we're all flowing with that. Like, yeah. And then he says this, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Record scratch. I was tracking till then, Jesus. I'm going to show you how much it's going to cost you. And here's what it cost him. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28. Paul says this. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Same beating that Jesus got before he was crucified. Paul got it five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Actually, there was a fourth. He didn't, he, when, he, when this is being written, it hadn't happened yet. There was a fourth shipwreck that's going to happen. Here's what I want. Here's the, for those of you that like stats and numbers, let me give you a percentage. Based on the amount of shipping, like the ship journeys that Paul took, at least 35% of them ended in shipwreck. Those, those aren't great odds. Every time you're about to get on the boat, you're going, there's a like, you know, one in three chance right now I'm going down. Third, three times, he says, I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day in the open sea. What does that mean, you say? Like he's clinging to the wood of the ship in open sea out in the middle of the ocean for a full day and night. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits. I've been in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. This is a lot of danger, Paul. In danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face the daily, the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul knew what it meant to have a friendship with uncertainty and suffering. Now, even if you go on in 2 Corinthians, Paul's going to tell a story about a thorn. You remember this story? Paul says that Satan's given me a thorn in the flesh, but then he correlates it to the fact that it's keeping me humble, he said. It's keeping me from being proud. But he says about that thorn, we don't know what it is. The Bible doesn't tell us. Many scholars will say it was a handicap of some kind. We don't know. But this thorn in the flesh, Paul says, I've asked the Lord to take it away three different times. Now, I want you to think about it for a minute. God's not answering every one of Paul's prayers. He's not answering that prayer. In fact, God says to Paul, I'm not taking it. 
I want you to be friends with it. He says this, because my power is made stronger in your weakness. You will be a better representation of my gospel, of the name of Jesus, if it stays. If you let the thorn stay, if you become friends with the suffering, if you become friends with the uncertainty, over and over Paul would say, I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem not knowing what waits for me there. If you, you and I have to get to the place where I don't have to have God answer every single one of my questions before I say yes and step out. He's not going to answer every one of your and mine questions before we step out. As a church, we're not always going to know how it's going to work or if it's going to work or why it's going to work before we step out. There's going to be some moments we're going to be friends with uncertainty. We're just going to say, he said, go, I'm compelled by the Spirit, so I'm going, not knowing what waits for me there. There's something about uncertainty that builds our faith because then when God actually does it, it brings us even closer together. It knits us closer together. If I would have already known that God was gonna do it and I had every answer and it wasn't uncertain, I was certain of all of it, I could step out and actually think I did it. And Jesus is not gonna let that happen because then I get watered down with the gospel. Suddenly the gospel becomes about me and my strengths and my gifts and my abilities and my smarts and my strategies and it's none of that. It's the power of the Holy Spirit operating in us combined with the good news of the gospel that has the power and the strategy and everything we need. All I need is a yes. I need to be friends with uncertainty. And when suffering comes, I'm not going to quit and blame God. Stop blaming God for everything that goes wrong. Listen, what if you became friends with it? Not ask for it and not pray, not pray about it. I'm just saying, what if above the suffering I know, my God is faithful. My God will not abandon me. My God did not turn his back on me. My God will not walk away from me. My God will not let me just be stuck here. My God is for me. My God is going to get me through the river. He's going to break open the sea. He's going to take me across. I can endure the suffering. You know why? Because I've had a dramatic conversion. And I have a compelling mission, and I've learned to be friends with uncertainty and suffering. And Paul says this, Romans 8, chapter 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. That leads us to our fourth and final, and it's this. Number four, we need this, a sure hope of eternity. You see, in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, I want to read it to you. But the thing that I love the most about Paul, he didn't make earth his home. Can I just encourage you, child of God? This is not your home. This isn't my home. We have a compelling mission while we're here. This isn't where it is. I don't get everything I'm going to get on this earth. There's a glory to be revealed. There's a calling heavenward. There's a place where we're gonna sit down at the supper with the lamb. And we're gonna celebrate and we're gonna shout and we're gonna declare it was all worth it. All the uncertainty and all the suffering and all the dying to self. The turning away from the world towards the things of God, it was all worth it. It was real. And for eternity, I'm going to spend with the one who saved me and rescued me. I don't know why he did. He just chose to. 
And in that moment, that sure hope of eternity is what gets us through some of the stuff we're gonna go through on the earth. We need to lift our eyes, church. We're too earthly focused. You need to start thinking about the reward in heaven. We gotta start concentrating on what's coming in heaven and it affects how we live on earth. I don't need you to thank me here. Please don't thank me here because you might rob me of the reward in heaven. Just tell me that was a terrible message, okay? Because I want the reward in heaven. Well, don't say it like that. Just wink at me when you say it so I know you're kidding. The point is, the point is, we have a sure hope of eternity spent with Jesus. We're gonna have some moments here. Paul had some moments. In fact, Paul likely was martyred for the sake and name of Jesus. Likely Paul lost his head. But he says this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. He's coming, church and he's coming back soon, and he's bringing his reward with him. And the prize is not just for me, Paul says, but for all who are eagerly looking forward to his appearing. So Paul was a part of spreading the good news of Jesus. He did his part, and I suggest now it's our turn. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. And Jesus, we thank you for who you are in our lives. We don't know why you chose us, but you did and we're grateful. You rescued us out of death, out of sin, out of the snares of the enemy. And you lifted us to new places. You've created us to be brand new. You've compelled us with a mission to take your good news everywhere we go. We make friends today with uncertainty and with suffering, we're not asking for it. We're just saying, would your peace overwhelm us when we are faced with it? Could we trust you more than we trust the suffering? And then we continue to celebrate the fact, Jesus, that we are gonna be spending eternity with you and that drives us to finish the race like Paul did. Now, right now, as I pray, I wanna to speak to those of you that you've not had a dramatic conversion. You would say that you've never either professed Jesus as your Lord or Savior, or maybe you did, but you know in your heart of hearts, your life doesn't show it. You need to give your life the way you live to him. And if you wanna do that today, whether on the other side of that screen or right here in the room, I just want you to lift your hand towards heaven. I wanna know who I'm praying for and with. Remember, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the name of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of giving him my life. So all over this room right now or on the other side of that screen where you are, pray this. Today, Jesus, I give you my life. All that I am, I surrender to you. I repent of my sin. I turn from the old me and I turn towards the new me you are gonna sanctify. Today, I receive the gift of salvation. And now fill me with your spirit and show me how to live my life is yours in the name of Jesus. Come on church, can we celebrate every person that just made that decision? 
shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not... That's what happens when you wait. That's what happens when you wait. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not faint. That's what happens when you wait. That's what happens when you wait. Oh, they that wait, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not faint. That's what happens when you wait. That's what happens when you wait on oh,
for joining us. We here at Experience Church love you and are praying for you. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our hope.